What is this? What's going on here? What are you people doing here? What is this? Are you trying to trick me? You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello, and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories. This week, it's another Best of Storytime episode. I realized I've done a lot of episodes about language and words and strange phrases that we've used in our lives, and words that we've used or misused over time. And so I decided to pull some of my favorite stories from those episodes and put them together in one place. Yes, I am a language nerd, a word nerd. I like the way words work. Words have meaning. And yes, I probably spend far too much time thinking about that. But what can I say? It's what I like. So if you haven't heard these stories before, I hope you enjoy them. And if you have heard them before, I hope you enjoy them again. Thanks for being here. This is the best of story time. It's not a natural thing for me to curse. It's just not the way I was brought up. I was brought up to use polite language, and that's stuck in my head all of these years. So I'll drop the F-bomb every every once in a while, and I'll, I'll use the S word, but, you know, I'll go through the list of words that I was not allowed to say, and it's extensive. I mean, the word tits, the word balls, those were bad words in my house. I was in my 20s before I was comfortable saying tits, and to me, it's still kind of a crass word. I don't use that word, not generally. Balls is still a little uncomfortable for me, too. Nuts is okay. I can say nuts. But balls was never a good word. You know what? Even sucks was bad when I was growing up. We didn't say things sucked because we knew what it meant. We knew where it came from. So we didn't say sucks. We also didn't say fart. We didn't say piss. We didn't say shit. It just was, those were bad words. Now, the only curse words that really were prevalent in my house were God damn it or Jesus Christ which is weird because we were kind of a religious family too. So taking the Lord's name in vain was bad. But I guess that's why the curse words were so extreme if my dad used them, because you didn't say Jesus Christ unless you really meant it. You weren't supposed to say it anywhere but in the context of church. So to use it as, a, as an expletive was really bad. So if dad was Jesus Christing in the basement, you knew something bad was going on. If there was a God damn it, that was bad. The next step from God damn it was God damn it to hell. Now things were getting worse if you were God damning something to hell. But DEFCON 1 for the God damage was God damn it to hell and back. Then you knew things were really bad. If, if you were God damning it to hell and back, it was, it was trouble. It was trouble. It was, call the fire department. Something was going wrong. If you were goddamning something to hell and back, it was a serious, serious matter. But there was never an F word. I don't think my dad dropped the F bomb a single time that I'm aware of in my life. And neither did my mom. I didn't learn that till I went away to school and they were so proud. (laughs) Is this why you're getting an education? Is this what it's about so you can come home with this kind of language? Yeah. Sorry, mom. (laughs) That's what I learned. Sorry, but we did have substitutes for those words. Of course, you always have substitutes. But before I get to the substitutes, I guess there's, there's a couple other popular phrases, <laughs> for lack of a better term, that have gained in popularity that were also forbidden to us back in the day. We didn't refer to people as douchebags back then. 
because douchebags, I mean, I'm sure all of you know what a douche is. And if you don't, look up douche. There's a Google. Go do it. But using a douche back in the day was a process. It wasn't just a thing that you got at the drugstore. It was a process, and my, I, I didn't learn until years later what the process was, but my mother had an actual douche bag, and I knew what it was, and I knew, I knew what it was used for. Eventually, I learned. But to call somebody a douchebag back in my day, oh my God, you might as well just shoot them. That was a horrible thing. The other thing, scumbag. Now, scumbag, again, we all know what a scumbag is. If you don't, go to Urban Dictionary. You can figure it out. But a scumbag was just a horrible, horrendous thing to call somebody. So we didn't use that. And if we used that, we got in trouble. The things that we were able to do was to put in our substitutes. Now, you always create substitutes. For the F word, fudge was mostly acceptable, although my mom knew what we were saying. But if we, if we let off a fudge, we were okay. When Battlestar Galactica came out in the 70s, they came up with a curse word similar to the F-bomb, which was frack. So we could use frack, too, because it was on TV, so it must have been okay. So we used frack a little bit as one of our go-to words. But to get around the ban against Jesus Christ, we would always use cheese and rice. Cheese and rice. I can't believe this happened. That was our... (laughs) That was our backup. We could use cheese and rice, even though we knew what we were supposed to be saying. Cheese and rice was acceptable. Jesus Christ was not. It's just like, shut the front door these days. We all know what it's supposed to mean. But if you go, shut the front door, we all know what we're meaning. But the other substitutes, we couldn't say damn, so we could say darn. We could also say drat. Instead of shit, we could say sugar. Sugar. That was our fallback position because we couldn't use the S word. And of course... We could never use the full phrase, but if we went mother, everybody knew what we were getting at. So it was okay to use that. But anything beyond that, oh my God, were we in trouble. So that's why over the years I developed different kinds of curses and that's what I've stuck with. You know, what the heck does Dagnabbit mean? It sounds goofy, but that's my go-to curse word most of the time these days. Dagnabbit. I think it's the Yosemite Sam and Me from Bugs Bunny cartoons. That's where Dag Nabbit comes from. The other one that I've come up with over the years, and actually <laughs> Mrs. Gamer Dude uses this more than I do, and it's become one of her favorites, douche nozzle. Douche nozzle's a great phrase. You call somebody a douche nozzle, it, it just takes them by surprise. They have no idea what the hell that means. But it's a great sounding curse phrase. You douche nozzle. The newest word that is making me crazy is niche. Let's take the phrase, I've found my niche, meaning I've found the place where I want to be. I found the hobby that I want to do. I found the job that fits me. That's my niche. People are pronouncing it niche. It's not a niche. It's not a niche. It's not a niche. It's a niche. There's an E on the end, but that's just one of the little stupid little grammar rules and language rules of the English language that the word niche has an E on the end of it. It's a silent E, but it doesn't make the word niche. If the word was niche, it might be spelled N-E-E-S-H. It's not. It's spelled N-I-C-H-E, and it's pronounced niche. Now, niche, just like regardless, are the correct usages and pronunciations of the words. But if you currently look up niche and irregardless, you will find them in current versions of dictionaries. 
that doesn't make them right. And if you look at them, and if you try to look them up in 30-year-old dictionaries, you will find that niche is not a correct pronunciation. It's not even a recognized pronunciation from years ago. The reason that niche and irregardless have become accepted and are now in dictionaries is because so many people keep using them incorrectly. The people at Merriam-Webster just kind of threw up their hands and went, fine, put the definitions in. We don't care anymore. If you people don't care, we don't care. Here, have niche, have irregardless. But people, help me save the language. They're not correct. Irregardless and niche are not correct. In addition to the phrases when I was a kid, we had a bunch of words that we used to use that you no longer hear anymore or hear very rarely. For instance, mega. Mega was a big thing when I was growing up. Now, mega means big, but we would use it to modify anything. Like there was a sandwich place that we used to go to. They didn't just make sandwiches. They made mega sandwiches. The sandwiches were so huge. Oh, Tony, you got to go over there. They make mega sandwiches. If you went to a concert, you wanted to sit right in front of the speakers because it was mega loud. A billionaire wasn't just rich. He was mega rich. Oh, we used mega all the time. That was our modifier for everything, but only for a few years. Then mega just disappeared. Another use that disappeared, pad. We're not talking a lily pad for a frog. We're not talking an iPad to watch movies on. When I was growing up, people would talk about their home or their apartment as being a cool pad. Hey, come over to my pad. We'll have some drinks, okay? I have no idea where that came from. But if you ever watch movies from the 60s or the 70s or some of the old TV shows too, they talk about going to somebody's pad. Now we watch movies on our pad. Back in the day, we watched movies in our pad. Another word we used when I was growing up that we don't use the same way anymore, bread. Now I'm not talking about a loaf of bread. I'm not talking about pumpernickel bread. I'm not talking about rye bread. When I was growing up, bread was a slang term for money, cash. This is another one of those, I don't know why bread became a synonym for money. But when I was growing up, if you said, oh, I need some bread, man. You weren't looking for a sandwich. You needed some cash. To which my dad would say, well, go get a job. But bread was synonymous with money. Don't know why. It's not anymore. Another great word that I grew up with that we don't use anymore, fink. A fink was like an informer or someone you can't trust. Oh, don't be a fink, man. Don't tell the teacher what's going on. Basically, Fink was my day's version of narc. A Fink would tell on you. And if you were a really bad Fink, you were a rat Fink. You didn't ever want to be a rat Fink. Being a Fink was bad enough. Being a rat Fink? Oh, there's no coming back from being a rat Fink. So if you had the reputation of being a Fink, you were in serious trouble. Another word that we don't use quite the same? Bogart. Now you guys know I love my movies and I'm quite familiar with Humphrey Bogart. Bogart at one point became an actual verb. You know, English lesson here, action word. You would tell somebody not to Bogart the onion dip because I need to get my chips into it. Bogart meant somebody was hogging something or monopolizing it or not letting anybody else take advantage of it. And basically, it comes from the fact that Humphrey Bogart in his movies would have a cigarette dangling from his mouth for much longer than was healthy. I mean, any length of time is not healthy, but he would have that cigarette dangling there for a long period of time. So if somebody is bogarting the onion dip, they're hogging it, man. They're holding on to it, and they're not giving it up. Another name from entertainment that we used was Goober. I don't know if you remember the old Andy Griffith show or Gomer Pyle. Gomer had a cousin, Goober. And Goober was a very friendly but very dim-witted kind of guy. I mean, you couldn't help but like Goober, but he was as dumb as a post. 
So we would use goober to describe somebody who was friendly, but dumb as a post. Like if somebody screwed up a presentation in English class, for instance. What a goober. He didn't call him a jerk if he was a friend of yours, but you would definitely call him a goober. What a goober you are. And if you've never seen goober, go catch some reruns of Andy Griffith. You will understand goober in a heartbeat. We also had the term burnout when I was growing up. If you describe somebody as a burnout, everybody knew what you were talking about. These days, if you're burned out, you've worked too hard, you got too much on your plate at work, you're burned out from all the work they've given you at school. When I was growing up, if you were a burnout, you spent way too much time using illegal herbs and spices or other illicit substances. Basically, you're a drug addict. Oh, Betty, you do not want to date Stan. He is such a burnout. That's how you would use burnout. Oh, stay away from him. He's a burnout. The high school that I went to, we actually had a smoking patio because you were allowed to smoke in school, but not in school itself. You could go to the patio and have a cigarette between classes. Yeah, that's how different it was when I was growing up. So any of the smokers would go to the patio and have a cigarette, but there was a special corner of the patio where all of the burnouts would gather and everybody knew who they were. You don't talk about burnouts too much anymore, at least not that way. But if you had the reputation of a burnout, we knew what you were talking about. Now, as I said, I always liked words and phrases, and interesting-sounding things have always appealed to me, like the two words that I put in the title to this episode, poppycock and balderdash. Those are fun words to say, aren't they? Poppycock. That's cool. I like that. That's an old word that we don't use hardly at all anymore, and I think we should bring that back. That's poppycock. Can't you hear that in those old movies from the 30s and the 40s? Oh, that's poppycock, and we know what it means. It means nonsense, rubbish, blather. These are all the usual terms we associate with what poppycock is. But me, being the language nerd that I am, I actually had to dig into what exactly poppycock is, and it's really kind of interesting to me, maybe to you. Poppycock is actually derived from a 19th century Dutch term, and in the Dutch... I'm not going to try to pronounce the Dutch, but it's similar to poppycock. But the Dutch term means soft dung. And when you think about it, poppycock nowadays is nonsense, rubbish, useless information. In other words, bullshit. Poppycock means bullshit, which is what it always meant. It's just now okay to say that poppycock means bullshit. So now you have a reason to use poppycock. It's much nicer and cooler sounding, in my opinion, than bullshit. Poppycock makes you sound elegant. Well, that's poppycock, my good man. I think you should try to work that into your, into your vocabulary. The other one that I love is balderdash. Now, there's a game out there called balderdash, and it's a, it's a word game that involves making up words and phrases for people to believe or not to believe. But the term balderdash actually means senseless talk or senseless writing. And me, being the word nerd that I am, I actually dug into this. And I dug into this years ago because I was trying to figure out, well, what the hell is balderdash? Now, I remember some of this stuff, but I've, I've looked up some of this stuff in the spirit of full disclosure. I've looked up some of the stuff to refresh myself on it. And I, as I read this definition, I go, oh, yeah. Balderdash comes from the 1600s, believe it or not. It's a phrase that was used to describe a combination of liquids. Weird, right? Balderdash and a combination of liquids, but that's where it comes from. 
Now, some sources say it described beer mixed with wine, which is disgusting. Some say it's beer mixed with buttermilk, which is even more disgusting. But it became to be associated with the mixing of frothy and bubbly liquids. And as a result, somehow it became associated with frothy, bubbly language. Senseless talk. Useless talk. Now, no one knows why. And to me, that's one of the cool little mysteries of language. You have this word. It developed somewhere 500 years ago. But no one knows exactly why. And yes, that's the word nerd in me. I'm curious, but that's one of the things we'll never know. We'll never know where that came from. And that's where my imagination kicks in. And that's why I love this stuff. Because I try to imagine how Balderdash became associated with language. So I picture these two guys sitting in an old bar somewhere, drinking their frothy mix of beer and buttermilk. Ew. Talking about Balderdash. And one guy says something stupid. And the other guy says... That's as bad as this horrible drink that I'm drinking. Well, that's balderdash. It could have happened that way, sure. And one of the offshoots of storytelling is when you get an audience in front of you and you tell a story that entertains them because it's exciting or because it's funny or because it just captures their attention for five minutes. A good storyteller knows how to do that. And that's where the Shaggy Dog story comes in. The Shaggy Dog story is something that certain storytellers use to capture an audience, but purely for entertainment purposes. Whether it's for the entertainment of the audience or for the entertainment of the storyteller, the Shaggy Dog story is a pure form of entertainment. Now, we don't have shaggy dog stories too much anymore because we don't sit around and listen to people tell stories, unless you're listening to this podcast, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about shaggy dog stories today. Shaggy dog stories are about entertainment. The easiest way to explain a shaggy dog story to you is simply this. A shaggy dog story, generally speaking, is a story that goes nowhere. It's basically a long story, and it can be as long as you can make it, that really doesn't have a point. Although in some cases, the long story that goes nowhere can have a punchline, which makes it a little more entertaining for the audience. But sometimes, there's no point whatsoever except to get the audience to listen. Now, why do we tell shaggy dog stories? As I said, it's for entertainment. Sometimes, it's just to get you to listen. Sometimes, it's to give you a little laugh. And sometimes, especially as a dad, it's the chance to get a groaner punchline in there that's a really bad pun or a really good pun. To me, the best shaggy dog story is one that makes you go, oh God, at the end. That's a great shaggy dog story. And of course, I'm going to give you some examples of shaggy dog stories, but I'm going to explain to you first why they're called shaggy dog stories. Basically, a shaggy dog story is a story that builds up to a conclusion that is anticlimactic, but there's a slow build with a lot of detail, and it sucks you in. You want to hear how the story comes out. And why is it called a shaggy dog story? Well, because the first one was about a shaggy dog. Now, when you tell a shaggy dog story, it works best when you really invest yourself in the story. And you can give as much or as little detail as you want, but the point is to get people interested. And you start with a premise, like a shaggy dog. A young boy owned a dog that was unbelievably shaggy. Its hair was so long it would drag on the ground. 
He had to comb it every night to get the leaves and the twigs out of the hair. All the neighbors would talk about how shaggy that dog was. And the old man next door told him, Well, you should enter that dog in the shaggy dog contest. And the kid said, I didn't know there was a shaggy dog contest. And the old man said, Well, of course, every year we have the shaggy dog contest in the middle of town. So, of course, the boy entered his dog in the shaggy dog contest. And because the dog was so shaggy, he won. Turns out, there's a national shaggy dog circuit. And the boy decided to enter his dog in all of the tournaments for shaggiest dogs. And sure enough, at every level, the boy's dog won the shaggy dog title. And after months and months of competition, the boy's dog was crowned the shaggiest dog in the country. And he was on the cover of magazines. He was all over Twitter. He had his own Instagram account. Everybody thought this dog was incredibly shaggy. So much so that the boy decided to enter the dog in the international shaggy dog competition. And of course, there were qualifying rounds and he had to go through every qualifying round to get to the next level. And he won every one of those qualifying rounds because his dog was so shaggy. And finally, they get to the final competition, which was being held in London, England. And shaggy dogs from every country were entered into this competition. And the boy was confident because his dog was the shaggiest. He knew he had this competition locked up. He was ready to go. He brushed the dog, got the hair all glisteny, used special doggy hair conditioner to really emphasize the shagginess. And the dogs are on their stands and the judges are making the rounds. And they finally get to the boy's dog. And the head judge stands in front of the boy's dog and he says, Meh, he's not that shaggy. That is a shaggy dog story. There is a lot of buildup, a lot of detail, and it goes nowhere. There's not necessarily a punchline. There's not necessarily a pun. You've just spent four minutes listening to me regale you with the tales of a shaggy dog that's not that shaggy. And that is often the point of a shaggy dog story. That's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate you listening to all of the episodes, including this best of episode. Hope you liked it. If you have any suggestions or stories you'd like to hear on future best of episodes, message me on Twitter, whisper me on Twitch. Just let me know. We'll find those stories. We'll put them up in future episodes. Thanks again, guys. Until next time, you take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.